Welcome to the Fight Lawyer Podcast, where we discuss combat sports and the law. Our guest today is boxing promoter, Artie Palula. Artie, thanks so much for taking the time to do this. My pleasure, Dimitri. How are you, bud? Doing all right, doing all right. So how did you first get into the business of boxing and ultimately boxing promotion? <laughs> um, I got involved with boxing over 30 years ago. Um, and uh, I started out as a manager for the first couple of years, and then I became a promoter in 1985. Uh, 95, 100, yeah, about 90, about uh, 85, 86, and then I've been promoting fights ever since. And how did you establish Banner Promotions and grow it into the company that it is today? You know, just uh, I like the name. I don't. I didn't like using my own name. I like the idea of having a, a company name that was, you know, something that uh, people can relate to, and uh, but not to, uh, so much to me, but to the fighters. Uh, wasn't that wasn't my issue? Uh, as far as come growing the company, just getting lucky, working hard, signing the right fighters, making the right moves. Some are good and some are bad, and then. Uh, you know, what turned the corner for me was a kid named Axelino Popo Freitas, and then led into uh, one on the win four world titles, won his first 29 by knockout, and then went into Ricky Hatton, and then from there, Corrales, Castillo, Provodnikov, Andre. Prior to that, I promoted Larry Holmes in a second comeback. Uh, my first world champion was Otis Grant, and it was, you know, just hard work, you know, like anything else, like you calling me right now, doing your show. That's right. Now, you've been around the game for a while. What's the biggest way in which the business has changed over the years? Well, we're no longer on network television. When I was a young man starting out, the networks uh, were behind boxing, NBC, ABC, and CBS. It was actually very cool that a lot of the shows were on ABC Wild World of Sports. You would see uh, they were opening... You know, the opening when the skier comes down the, uh, the, the, uh, the, the ski ramp and it's the throw of victory and the agony of defeat and the agony of defeat was him falling off and then they'd go into a fight. I mean, it was, it was across the board uh, on uh, terrestrial television. Today, you know, um, it's a little bit more splintered. You have HBO and Showtime, which are premium cables, and now... Uh, ESPN is back in it with their series with Aram, with Bob Aram, but you know uh, it's it was it's, it was more generally fan friendly because it was on terrestrial television, and that was the key, and that's what led to you know fighters becoming ba- major stars: Hearns, Leonard, Hagler, Larry Holmes, uh, Muhammad Ali. You know they were actually on all the networks, and you turn on your set and you can find them. You know, today, it's, uh, there's a lot more going on. There's 200 channels, and, uh, you know, you have to fight for the fan base because there's all kinds of things going on on television. Now, there's some folks that say boxing is diminishing in popularity over the, over the years due to the rise of, of MMA and other such things. Has that been your experience over the years? Boxing has been around since the turn of the century or beforehand in the 1890s, when it was illegal in those days, actually. Uh, there's always going to be something or some sport that uh, is part of eating into other sports. 
like whether it's college football or the NFL, the MMA has been very successful. They have their true fan base. Uh, they're having their troubles now. But uh, I don't think it hurts boxing. I think that it's actually not a bad thing. It brings more people into uh, the, the, uh, the striking business. So that, that's what they call it, but the hitting business. But at the end of the day, uh, when boxing has a star, it's the biggest sport in boxing. And it's the biggest sport in the world. Mayweather-Pacquiao, biggest sport in the world. McGregor and and and, uh, and uh, Mayweather, biggest show, show, biggest fight of the year, and biggest event. So boxing is never going to be replaced if we have a star. It's always going to be here, and we're always going to have stars. And now you got Joshua, who's doing big things in Europe, and then you have Wilder, who now Joshua looked a little bit un- he didn't look as uh, invincible as he did in his last fight. So Wilder might have a shot. It's going to be a huge fight. Joshua sells 80,000 tickets uh, in an arena. Canelo sold 51,000 in uh, Texas. So, you know, there's always going to be something out there, another sport, another angle, another twist, you know, that, you know, people say, oh, boxing's this, boxing's that, you know. Boxing is never going anywhere. It is the last combative sport, the last bastion of mankind, where two gladiators get in the ring, and if they're at their best of what they do, it's like nothing you've ever seen. It's like nothing you've ever seen. If they're in their prime, and like Corrales and Castillo won, which I helped co-promote that, not that I said I'm saying because I promoted it, but it was me, Aaron, and Gary Shaw. It turned out to be the fight of the year, fight of the decade, fight of the half century, because they got in the ring at the same time that they were both in their prime in a great fight. And nothing's going to ever replace that. And you mentioned some big names. How do you go about promoting a fighter into someone that can make money? Are there certain natural characteristics that you look out for? How you fight them is sometimes it's lucky or, or you have a relationship with a, a manager from other fighters that brings you the fighter. Characteristics, you know, all fighters, all great fighters have a little bit of, uh, have a lot of tenacity and, and they have a little bit of meanness in them. Because that's what you take to be a, a great athlete uh, and a star. I mean, when you're hurt, they're going to finish you. When I, that's what I mean by mean, you know, the toughness. How do you find them? You know, uh, how do you discover them? You know, it's like uh, I went to Russia 12 years ago. Give an example. I sat down with some local promoters. And one of the fighters that they wanted me to bring over to do business with was a young kid named Ruslan Provodnikov. And he was just a guy, you know, good amateur, nothing outstanding, didn't make the Olympic team. And, uh, you know, I signed him because I was sitting down with people that I was looking to do business with. And he, had, and they, you know, he came, he came to America and he, and he became, he flourished. He became a star. So I, you would say I, I got accidentally, I found him because I went to Russia looking to sign talent. So there's no, there's no plan. There's no set course. There's no definitive way of finding people. And let's talk about some of the other fighters you've promoted over the years. How important was Larry Holmes to the heavyweight division as kind of the only great heavyweight that bridged that Muhammad Ali Mike Tyson gap in heavyweight boxing? Well, Larry Holmes, I can think, is one of the great heavyweights of all time. Most, you know, you know how many years Larry held the title? Joe Lewis held it 11 and a half years, almost 12. Nobody did that. Joe had the, the longest reign as heavyweight champion. And the second is Larry Holmes. 
seven and a half years. Had the best jab in the heavyweight division. He always said the jab, the jab, everything works off the jab. The jab will do everything for you. And he was a great guy. And he, he actually was very good for the sport. He was terrific for the sport. Now, Diego Corrales also promoted him some years ago. How important, and you mentioned him earlier, a while ago, were his fights with Jose Luis Castillo? Well, the first one is an epic of fight. It's an epic fight. You know that. Uh, the second and third, they weren't as important. They actually probably ruined each other in the first fight. I've got to correct my memory. I, I was no longer with him in the second and third. But I think uh, Castillo didn't make weight. Am I right? And he was overweight, like 10, 15 pounds. And they let the fight happen anyway, and Corrales got knocked out. Am I correct about that? Yeah. And the third fight I don't remember much about. It's like Ali and Fraser. You know, they had great fights. The three fights were terrific. But the first one was the one that took something out of both of them. You know what I mean? So I would consider the Corrales-Castillo one, one of the best fights of all time. The other two, they're, they're a product of what happened in one because one was very damaging to both of them. Ricky Hatton, does it relieve a promoter, financially anyway, knowing that you have two huge markets to work with, one of which is overseas? Well, it's always that way. I mean, you know, it's financially it's better for the fighter and the promoter if you're able to make money in more than one market. I mean, Asselino Freitas was a megastar in Brazil. And when he was fighting, over 90% of every television was on. Same thing with Ricky Hatton. Same thing with Lennox Lewis. You know, I mean, when you can have fighters who can cross over, it's a huge financial advantage for, for them, from one market to another. If a fighter is not American-born and American-raised, is it always scary that the American market won't take to him as easily? It's all about, I, I think it's all about their style. Look at G, Triple G. People love him. He doesn't even speak English. He speaks very few words of English, but he's a great fighter. Julio Cesar Chavez, he didn't speak English, but he was a great fighter. You know what I mean? So Asselino Popo Freitas won his first 29 by knockout, like I said earlier. He was a great fighter. People loved him. And that has nothing, the, language is a, the language is important for the athlete to make more money, that he could speak the language, doing the interviews. And, but, but as far as the American people accepting them, they just love good fighters, and they love good theater, and just like any other sports fan around the world. Now, Ruslan Provodnikov, when you put him in that fight with Tim Bradley in 2013, did you think it result in something that was really so undeniably great? You always hope that he's going to look good, a fighter. You always think that, you know, you know what you got and it's, and it's going to be a good fight. I did not expect the fight to rise to the level of how good the event was at the time. As it was fighting in motion, as the fight was in motion and going forward, as the fight was, the fans were growing, people were on Twitter and they're, and they're, and they're communicating, you got to watch this fight. You, you, you realize then at ringside it was going to turn out to be something great. But when going into it, I thought we could win the fight. I thought we were in the heavy underdog, which we were. But I didn't believe that uh, I wasn't. I didn't know that Rusalan would rise to the occasion to that level. Why do you think in the past several years, particularly Eastern European fighters, have been so widely accepted? Is it because De La Hoya, Mayweather, they're all on on the outs, or is there some gap that needs to be filled? 
There's a good crop of fighters coming from Eastern Europe, Europe like uh, Provodnikov and Lomachenko and Gennady Golovkin, and they're hungry, and they come from worlds that, you know, that is uh, financially tough for them, and they're tougher men, you know, right now, and they're doing a good, you know, tougher, what I'm saying is that, you know, they just want to make money, and they're, they've uh, achieved things in the amateurs, and there's right now, you know, the crop of uh, good fighters coming from Eastern Europe is uh, abundance right now. And there's a lot more coming. Is is there something to be said for the diminishing of the American amateur program and training American fighters? It's not as what it used to be, but I don't know that answer. I don't know. I, I don't. I don't know if it's the amateur program or not. Could so, things, it could be that there's a lot more things for kids to do in our world today. Uh, you know, you can make a relatively good living by not, you know, getting into the ring and hitting each other. So the crop of individuals or young kids who want to be uh, professional boxers might be diminishing because of, of the, that the economy and the way the country is. You can make a living doing other things, you know, without, you know, really, it's a very dangerous sport without getting hit for a living. What's your reaction to the drug test? Uh, all the issues that have arisen out of this latest Triple G Canelo fight? Well, I only know what I read. And what I read is that Canelo says he uh, was eating contaminated meat. Uh, there's a lot of re- articles out there that it wasn't so. But the, 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 uh, the regulations in Nevada, and I'm paraphrasing, whether you know or you don't know, it's your responsibility. Whether it's an accident or not, it's your responsibility. So um, he's, he's responsible for his actions. He got suspended. Uh, hopefully it doesn't happen again. Is drug testing as big an issue in boxing as everybody says? What could be done to prevent the canceling of these huge events going forward? Fighters don't test positive for, for performance-enhancing drugs. And I think they should be drug tested. Everybody should—that—that's the, the scourge of all professional sports: the NFL, Major League Baseball, basketball, you know, ice hockey. They absolutely should be tested. And you want to prevent the, the fights from not happening? I mean, you know, the, the events from not from being canceled. Don't do the drugs. There's some athletes that say. Nobody will ever stop it altogether. Anyway, you should legalize it to a certain degree and regulate it. Do you agree with that? No, I don't agree with that. I don't agree with giving you the advantage of outside your just physical work in your body. I don't believe that you should use drugs. I'm not. I'm not into anybody using drugs. So you're not talking to the guy that you're not talking to the right guy. I mean, I don't believe in that. You know why? You can't. You can't do it on your own. Then you shouldn't be doing it. If you need the drug to to make your body better, then you shouldn't be doing it, or or play it play it out the way it is. But Golovkin doesn't do drugs, Andre doesn't do drugs, but Provodnikov doesn't do drugs. I know it. I know it for a fact. So you know why should you have an advantage? Why should anybody have an advantage? And it's not even good for you. It kills you. It speeds up cancer cells. I mean, it's wrong. It's wrong. What are your thoughts on how to improve judging going forward? So that's a really good question. The problem with the judging is that it's very uh, not radical. What am I looking for? It's very irregular, and, and there's no there's no consequences for a judge 
who does badly. Right? They all have regular jobs. This is their part-time hobby. If you, if you do bad in your regular job, you know, if you have a problem, you're going to get in trouble with your bosses. But none of the commissions take, they take any action against people who are, are incompetent or make horrendous mistakes that will direct the future of a fighter and a promoter and a manager and a, and a whole team of making more money when they come up with ridiculous scores and ridiculous decisions. There is no school to teach them. There is no, there is no standard of learning how to judge. It's just bizarre. I mean, if you screw up in the NFL, they review the films. You're not working the next week. You're not making the playoffs. I mean, we are the only sport that has absolutely no control over the inability of these people when they do a bad job. It's just terrific. It's just unbelievable. I mean, I'll give you an example, and I won't mention his name. When Provodnikov fought Algeri in, uh, in Brooklyn on HBO Championship Boxing, one judge gave Algeri round two to round ten. Now, I know, I know whoever's going to be listening to this, unless you saw the fight, he had to be blind. They don't know. He was blind. He was blind. Round two to round ten. But nothing happens. There's no repercussions to them. There's no fine. There's no suspension. And they just have, a lot of people are inept. They're just not good. And there's no, and there's no standard to teach them. In the old days, if you drop somebody, it was a 10-8 round, which I believe if you drop somebody, it's a 10-8 round. He's off his feet. It should be 10-8. Today, if the other guy comes back and they like what they see, it's 9-9. I don't get it. Or 10-10. I don't get it. Not 9-9, not 10-10, 9-9. I don't get it. There's no standard. There's very few good judges. But the biggest problem we have with the judges is that there's no repercussion if they have a bad night. And if they, or if the fans had to judge. If the fans had to judge, them, half of them wouldn't be working. And what could promoters do in terms of challenges, lawsuits, appeals, anything of that nature to potentially fix uh, wrongful decisions. Well, you, you know, in America, you could sue anybody, yeah, and you can. Uh, but you can, you could, you you can. Uh, the commissions in each state have absolute control. So I don't know. I don't know what how much the ramifications would be. I mean, what I don't know how many courses you would have. All you could do is complain and holler and scream. But it would be up to the executive directors of each state to take a determined decision, a, 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 a direction. This is what we have to do. You were wrong. You did a bad job. You got to be sitting down. You got to be suspended. You got to be fined. You have to. You have to do something in order to have the public understand that you're policing the quality of the officiating. But you know, I don't know if you can sue a commission. I'm sure you can't because they're state body or part of the state body and they're immune from suit. But at the end of the day, you know. Uh, the, the executive directors who run the day-to-day operation, they have the authority to make the proper decisions when somebody does a, a bad job. Now, let's talk about safety for a bit. A few years ago here in New York, a boxer uh, fought Madison Square Garden. He was injured. A lawsuit was, bought, uh, was brought. A lot of money paid out by the state. New York, in response, enacted insurance requirements for promoters that essentially stifled the sport of boxing on a local level in New York. 
Are you aware of that? What are your thoughts on that? What's your opinion on the insurance mandate? Well, you know, um, the insurance is extremely difficult to put on a club show. It's, you know, it's, uh, it's hard to handle. I mean, you can't, a lot of guys can't afford it. Um, everybody believes that we should have safety for the fighters. I mean, you know, it is a dangerous sport. Um, I believe also in the New York situation, they were, they were, uh, they made mistakes. I think they put them in a taxi to go to the hospital. Is that correct? So, I mean, you know, that's, that's really ridiculous. But, uh, so what they did is they increased the insurance and it made it impossible for small shows to happen. So, you know, what do I think of it? I think the insurance should not have been raised that way, or the government, the local government, New York, should have come up with somehow to subsidize it. You know, it's not the uh, it's it's not the fault of the promoter what happened in that one instance that drove the insurance up. It was it was mistakes by the commission. So what I'm saying to you, and everybody makes mistakes. I'm not blaming anybody. But there had to be a middle ground, and there was no middle ground. They made it so encumbersome to get the insurance that most other writers won't write it, and that's why there's not a lot of shows there, because it's too expensive. So the answer is, I don't, I don't know the answer. And what could be done potentially to rectify uh, these potential head traumas and other injuries that could be suffered by boxers? You know, I don't know how you do that. I mean, you know, the headgear are even worse, they say. The kids are in the amateurs tell me that. I don't know how you stop... Uh, trauma uh, from uh, from you know head tra- head trauma. I mean, they're getting hit. You know, maybe something in the gloves, maybe. But you know, I don't know. The answer is that's that's out of uh, that's above me to be able to say what would be the best way to protect the fighters from head trauma. The only thing I can tell you is don't fight. You know, it's a dangerous sport. Everybody knows it. I mean, if you can. Uh, if you don't have the tenacity and desire and the will to be a fighter, then you shouldn't. And you shouldn't try to go in on it with a whim because it's going to be dangerous for you. But there's no way to protect the, the fighters from head trauma when they're in the ring. They're going to get hit. Right, right. Well, why don't you tell us about some of your fighters uh, under your banner right now, fighters that are coming up that people should look out for. Ruben Villa, these are, these are the real deal. These are young kids. They were great amateurs. They're coming up, and uh, they're just totally focused on their job. We just did a show in Ruben's hometown in Salinas where he sold out the arena of 1,100 uh, 1100 people, small town, off TV, on the Internet. My partner is Thompson Bobskin, put it on the Internet, on their website, and it was just a terrific night. So, uh, and we have a couple other kids we're grooming, and the business is good. There's no complaints. There's no complaints. And Artie, it's been so great of you to join us. Where can people go to find out more about Banner Promotions and your upcoming events? There, go to our website, and then all the different media, uh, social media that uh, we have, uh, that I have little knowledge about, (laughs) Twitter, Snapchat, and all these other things that we have, and our website. And uh, listen, I thank you for having me, and I hope the sport keeps growing, because it's fine. It's a great sport. It's a great, it's a great, it's a great place for young kids if they're into the, wanting to be fighters to figure out how to better themselves and if they're good at what they do they can make a lot of money and the key is to get make a lot of money and get out before their heads get scrambled and they will because it's a tough business 
but it's a great business. It's a great sport. Understood. Artie, once again, thanks so much for taking the time. My pleasure. And that's our interview with Artie Palulo. I hope you had a good time. Thanks so much for listening. My name's Dmitry Shaknovich. If you want to learn more about me, please visit www.dshacklaw.com. And this is the Fight Lawyer Podcast. Till next time, folks. <laughs>